sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. Yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had. Hello and welcome to episode number 139 of Dare Giants podcast. I am, as always, your host, Roger Munter. And uh, this is my very favorite annual tradition on this podcast. Uh, with the draft behind us now, I get to have the best in the business come in and uh, and, and help make sense of uh, all the talent that the Giants have brought in. Uh, the great Jim Callis from MLB joins me today to talk draft, to talk a little prospect, a little farm system, uh, wherever our conversation goes. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to to talk. Oh no problem! Thanks for having me, Roger. I always enjoy talking to you. Thanks for the thanks for the kind words. Uh, you uh, you before before we came on, you asked how I was doing. I didn't even ask how you were doing. Are you? Are you? How are you doing? Are you excited about the draft now that it's it's over and you see the Giants have gotten? How are you feeling? I well, like minutes before we started this, I read the news that uh, Marco Luciano had been promoted to Triple A. So I Whoa. am emotionally processing the fact that I don't get to watch his batting practice uh, next week when I go down to Richmond, and um, that's that's a slight disappointment. But I will get over it because I'm excited to see him go into the next level. Uh, and yeah, I thought the draft was 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 very exciting. Um, you know, I was watching the draft, of course, and uh, as a devoted Giants fan, I couldn't help notice that. At the end of the first night, when when people were naming their their favorite their favorite groups of talent, you actually focused on the <laughs> on the Giants. Um, so you must be really excited to talk about these guys with us. Yeah, that's right. I forgot I'd done that. And then I want to say um, I did the best drafts from in two like after day two and day three were done. And I think I had the Giants second on that list. So nice. yeah, I, I I had forgotten how much I liked the Giants draft. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to remind you today. Um, and, and I know after at least the first night, one of the things you were focused on, because everybody's picking a, a, a class or an organization, but one of the things you said specifically about the Giants is uh, their degree of difficulty was a little harder than other teams. They didn't have a lot of the things you associate with a, with a big kind of draft haul in terms of a lot of extra picks or, or first round picks picks uh so why don't we just go through those those first three picks um with bryce eldridge and and, and walker martin and uh joe wickman uh and and you talk about what you see in those players and and how that kind of first night came together uh as a really a really nice evening for the giants in your mind yeah i thought i thought it was tremendous value for the giants roger and like look we know the giants like to shave a little bit off the first pick and sometimes the second pick and then spend it on later picks. And they kind of changed the strategy a little bit. They didn't shave a ton off of Bryce Eldridge. And then they went big for Walker Martin. But but I'll, I'll start with the overview. <clears throat> like we knew they were they they were interested in Bryce Eldridge. I mean, that wasn't a shocking name. Uh, you know, there was a run on college bats in front of them. In fact, I think they were the only team that didn't take a college bat from picks 11 through 19. You know, the pitchers they might have been interested in, they knew weren't going to get to them. And the college bats all kind of were flying off the board. So they went with Bryce Eldridge. But what was interesting to me, is Walker Martin was a guy who you kept hearing the Giants really like Walker Martin. They're considering him at 16. They're heavy on Walker Martin at 16. And they got him all the way down at 52. And then to cap the night off with their, their supplemental second round pick, they got Joe Whitman, who I thought was the best college left-hander in the draft. So I thought it, it was good value all the way around. You know, going back to Eldridge, you know, the, the, they announced him as a two-way guy. He wants to try to do both. <clears throat> you had an ankle injury. I don't think he was as sharp on the mound as he had been in the past. But you could see him up, you know, mid nineties fastball, good slider, you know, feel for change up, you know, six foot seven athlete. I do think more teams like him as a hitter. Um, I, I think you know it's a guy who has a chance to have big power, 
but also good feel to hit. Um, you know, you know, athletic first baseman. I, I think in the long run, he'll probably be a first baseman. Reggie Crawford will probably be a left-handed pitcher. I'm not not picking on the job. I don't love the two-way thing. I think it's too hard to do. Well, no, I don't. I mean, I think Shohei Otani makes it look ridiculously easy. Right. And Shohei Otani is like the most talented probably player in big league history. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, I do think some of this is, you know, Bryce Eldridge wants to try to do both. So you accommodate him at the beginning. You know, same thing with Reggie Crawford a little bit. But I, I just think it's too hard to do both. I mean, the amount of work that goes into just be ready to pitch every fifth day, um, you know, if you weren't hitting at all is a lot of work. And then you're taken away from that because you're hitting. We'll see. I, I, I'm i sure he'll probably be a hitter in the long run. But I, I do like Bryce Eldridge's bat, one of the better high school offensive performers and, you know, outstanding two-way talent. You know, Walker Martin, like I said, I mean, we were hearing the Giants could take him in the first round and they got him in the second. You know, they signed him for $3 million, which was well over slot. You know, it's late first round money. You know, this is a guy who's two-sport standout, had played a lot of quarterback in high school. You know, I, I think it's one of these guys, when you get him full-time on baseball, you know, he has, has room for more growth than your typical high school guy. A lot of power, big lefty power, 6'2", 190, you know, athletic, good arm. You know, if he's not a shortstop, maybe he's a third baseman, but he should profile there. So he's real interesting. And then Whitman, I honestly thought Whitman was going to go in the supplemental first round, not the supplemental second round. And I'm right. surprised he lasted as long as he did. I mean, I know the scary thing on him a little bit is there's no track record before this year. He was two years at Purdue and he pitched five and two thirds innings and he just didn't pitch, but he, he transferred to Kent state. Mike Burtbeck, the former bigger leaguer is one of the better pitching coaches in college baseball. And he just really blossomed under him. He was mid American conference pitcher of the year. Uh, you know, he's 91 to 96 now, and he's locating his fastball a lot better. He's got a low 80 slider that he commands very well. That's got horizontal and vertical life. His changeup's got some fade and sink. You know, he needs to use it more. But I mean, you're talking about a three pitch, six foot five lefty who, you know, has pretty good command. And, you know, we're not talking like he's a soft tosser. I, I think to get all three of those guys on day one, like, I'll be honest, I would not have thought that Walker Martin or Joe Whitman would get get into the second round. I, I thought they'd be gone by the end of the sandwich round. And so some some masterful work by the Giants to get all three of those guys. Yeah, and, and Michael Holmes repeated several times during the three days in, in his press conference how excited they were that Whitman did fall there because, you know, he was, like you say, a lot of people's boards, the top lefty in college. That, that guy doesn't get to the third round very often. I want to return to your comments on the on the two-way thing. Um, you know, uh, Michael Holmes says that they love two-way athletes because of the athleticism and the good things that says about their ability to kind of adjust uh, and, and, and work their way through the development. I had a, a reader uh, ask me a question this morning, and it was a good question and a, a legitimate question. I would just want to pass it on to you to get your thoughts on it. And he basically said, okay, if 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 basically the two-way players all pick a lane at some point and we think Eldridge is going to be a hitter, is is a first base – a high school first baseman is not normally a first-round profile so what was it about him that lifts him into the middle of the first round as a high school first baseman if that's what you kind of think he's going to be in the end yeah no i mean and, and that's a fair point i mean i do think he was a consensus first round pick i mean maybe not all 30 teams but he was going somewhere in that i, I heard him as high as 11 to the angels he was probably going to go in that 11 to 28 range it's because i think you really believe in the bat you know this isn't just a, a raw 
you know, slugger. I mean, this is a guy who's got combines hitting ability with the ability to hit for power. And he was one of the better all around offense performers in the high school class. He's more athletic than the typical first baseman. So I, I think that's, that's what you're looking at with him. So I think, well, one thing I've written about a little bit in the last year is that, you know, if you look at the farm system, the giant farm system overall, there were two things that kind of stood out to me as a little bit of uh, on the thin side. One was left-handed hitters, uh, particularly left-handed power. And when the other was left-handed pitchers, and it was really interesting how heavy they went to both of those profiles, not just on the first day, but throughout the three days, I thought they did a really nice job of bringing uh, lefties who are always really valuable uh, into the into the system. They did a great job of sort of covering up that that slight thin spot. Um, I want to talk about days two and three now, since you since you like the whole draft, um, you've already reported that uh, both Eldridge and Martin have signed. Between the two of those guys, they've got to carve out about a million dollars in savings from the rest of the draft. But even with that, they didn't. They took a lot of talent in 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 those two days. Um, so I'll first I'll just leave this up to you and start kind of go where your mind is. What are the real value picks? What are the kids that they took in in from the third round down that you really that you really liked? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Um, I mean, they they came back you know on day two and start off with two SEC shortstops in Cole Foster and Mally Huna. And as yeah. you point out, you know Foster switch hitter Huna hits left handed. You know Foster, uh, you know was a guy. You know, he's another one of these pandemic guys, like where if there's more than a five round draft, maybe he signs in 2020. I had him as the second best shortstop in Texas in 2020 behind Mason Wynn, who's now a top 100 prospect with the Cardinals. But he went unpicked. He went to Auburn. He played second base in the past. He kind of sold out for power in the past. This year he got to shortstop and he looked more relaxed at the plate. He's switch hitter. Um, he's I, got, I think he's got a chance to be an average hitter, you know, maybe 15 homers per year. Um, very good defender, sure hands, average range, solid arm. You know, if he's not an everyday guy, I think he's a good utility guy. He can do a little bit of everything, you know, average runner, um, good instincts. Um, you know, Hoon is a guy who th- that could wind up. We could look back and go, boy, that's a really good pick. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to be this guy, but if I'm remembering my draft history, Roger, what round did Brandon Crawford go in? Uh, fourth, fourth I believe. Yeah. yeah, I believe so too. And Brandon Crawford was a guy who came in the year and he's talked about this mid first round pick and he didn't have a good spring and he went the fourth round. He's had a long career. Now I'm not, I'm saying not, not saying Mally Huna is going to be Brandon Crawford, but it's kind of the same thing where, you know, he came in, I had some teams who thought he'd be a mid first round pick, like, like as in not get to the giants first pick um, coming into the year. And he, he's too aggressive and tries to do too much at the plate and he got streaky. And I think transferring from Kansas to the, to the sec, you know, he had a, he wasn't suspended. He was in limbo because of his transfer. Tennessee didn't handle it right. So he was, he wasn't right. cleared for the first two weeks. There's a lot going on and he didn't have a very good spring, but you're talking about a guy who's one of the best shortstops in the draft on the college side. Most college shortstops, you know, like I was just saying, Cole Foster, I was maybe damning him a little bit with faint praise. Mally Hoon is a definite shortstop. You're not worrying about that at all. He's, he's plus shortstop, really good body control, strong arm, good range. He's got well above average speed. He doesn't really use it to steal bases. And he's got some power. He's just too aggressive. But anyway, I, I think if you could sell him down at the plate, we might look back and say, boy, you know, that's th- th- that's a good steal. Um, you know, I, I could go over every, almost every one of these guys because they're all interested. But look, Luke Schlieger and Jack Payton in the 11th round, Luke Schlieger in the 6th round out of Maryland. Um, both those guys are offensive-minded catchers who are interesting. You know, it was interesting, like, 
anyway. when we do our draft coverage, Roger, there's always guys you wonder, oh man, am I high on this guy? I don't think anybody <laughs> else had Josh Bostick on their their yeah. list. And we yeah. had him ranked at 176. And I was just like, this guy sounds really good to me. Like the scouts I talked to, it's like 6'4", 205, best Juco pitcher in Texas, third in National Junior College Association, 15.3 strikeouts per nine. And it's like 91, 97 with life. Low 80s slider with sweep when it's on. Promising low 80s change up. Still kind of raw. So like there's a lot of room to improve. And I was like, I like, I, I think this guy sounds pretty good. And and he went on day two. So I was like, yeah, like uh, my, my, my scouts once again have come through for me. Like, like nobody, I even had a couple of friends of mine who were really deep in the draft going, man, you're the only guy on Josh Bostic. I'm like, I just think he sounds really good. Like, um, you know, he just, he wasn't, I don't think a hot name coming into the year. And so I don't think he kind of made other lists and he was committed to Texas Arlington. So I think he flew under the radar there, but, but Josh Bostic, I'll, I'll take it. I mean, what I just described, you take that in the eighth round every day, wouldn't you? You know, there's a trend that's kind of coming up here, and you've, you've touched on it a couple of times, and it's part of college athletics where we live, where the transfer portal, kids are moving around a lot. There are a lot of players that the Giants have taken and succeeded with the last couple of years who are moving around to a lot of places, maybe don't look good uh, until their last year in college, like you said, of Whitman um, or are hit are hurt a lot and aren't seen um you know scott bandura is a guy who hasn't been yep. seen much this year uh there are other guys who just aren't very good performers in college i think it's spencer miles last year um ahuna hayden uh, birdsong was an under the radar H- guy who's hayden birdsong really, really well kind of um, like uh, kind of like bostic in that he was a guy who went sort of juco route and bostic's yep. been at several different it's it's almost a different world now where in some ways the track records that are that, that they're bringing into the draft aren't the same as the old days where you wanted to see that progression, boom, boom, boom. And by the junior year, they're this player. It's a lot more players moving around and kind of trying to find themselves in the right program that can develop them. But the modern sort of data analytics helps teams say, no, there's something there that we're seeing that we really, really like. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, you know, Bostic started his career as a shortstop at Howard junior college. He went, he played both ways at Hillsborough junior Co- college last year. And then became a full-time pitcher this year. But you, like, you mentioned Bandura, who's a really interesting guy who, who had some injury issues. He didn't get seen a lot. He looked good when I saw him at the combine, just taking BP. Quinn McDaniel in the fifth round was like an interesting offensive second baseman. Even I'll probably butcher his name, so I apologize to Charlie. But Charlie Sisconi from oh, UIC yeah. up here. Did I come close yeah. to this county? I, have no, I, I do not know. I, I know the scout who signed him, so I should ask him this. Uh, I don't actually know how that is pronounced. But but yeah, so he's a money saver in the ninth round because he signed for 47500 But like he's 6'4", 225. He's older because he's a grad graduate transfer, but it's lefty power. It's a strong arm. He's interesting. You know, they're 12th rounder. Timmy Manning Timmy coming Manning, out of high school yeah. was a high-profile lefty. Um, he started Florida transferred to Arizona state and he's got a live arm. I mean, it's a super interesting bunch of guys. Um, you know, even Ryan Vanderhigh, you know, he hasn't had a lot of college success, but like he could show you some velocity and, and a pretty good slider at times. Um, you know, maybe he'll take off. I, I don't know if they're gonna try to put him in the in, in bullpen, but maybe you put him in the bullpen and he takes off. He's another transfer. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really interesting group of players. Um, and you're right. Like I hadn't thought about the fact, but like outside of like, you know, Whitman transferred to Huna transferred Bostick's bouncing around Vanderhey transferred Timmy Manning transferred. I mean, that's a lot of transfers. Yeah. 
I, so I don't know if you know this story, but uh, Michael Holmes said uh, after, I guess it was after the second night, that uh, Cole Foster was actually the last player he scouted in 2020. He had, he had gone to huh. his game the day he pulled his scouts off the road. Um, <laughs> so his history uh, went back with him a ways. Um, I, I don't know who's going to emerge from here, but I think we know from what we've seen in the last few years, the Giants do really good work in day two and three. Um, you know, mentioned Hayden Birdsong, it looks great. Uh, Landon Roop, Vaughn Brown, who's a, another one of those older yep. guys. Like This is an area where their scouts have really shined uh, the last few years. So uh, I think it's going to be exciting to see, you know, who who are the new guys to kind of like pop up and, and grab our attention from this day two, day three group uh, in the next couple of years. No, you're right. You're right. Like I don't, I haven't really thought through my mind how many of these guys wind up making the top one, the, the Giants top 30. I mean, I got to at some point start working on that because we have to update <laughs> all our lists. Um, but like, you know, like, I mean, there aren't a whole lot of guys that really want to bump off the top 30, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, I mean, some guy, I mean, like, look, we know, you know, just from looking at the list, you know, Eldridge is going to be on the list. Martin's going to be on the list. Women's going to be on the list. Foster's going to be on the list. Who is going to be on the list? That's five. Like, and I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I'm sure I could find five guys to bump, but like, I don't know if there's room to squeeze other guys on here. And it might just be like last year where Spencer Miles and Hayden Birdsong and Wade Meckler didn't make the list right away. And they had to kind of wait till the following, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe some guys will graduate and clear spots, but um, yeah, I'm going to have to jam a bunch of these guys on the list. Well, yeah, I think you're in luck there because there are several people who are going to uh, graduate this year. It's It's been a pretty amazing year. When I talked to you last year, I, I remember you you talked about how you thought the, the giant farm system was the most volatile one, maybe, of yeah, the 30 clubs true. last year. Um, and that has continued this year. Um almost in opposite ways. So, you know, last year was like, Oh, Patrick Bailey and Louis Matos, what's going on here. And this year they're, they are helping the big league club uh, win. And so, you know, some guys who took big steps forward last year, are kind of stepping back. It continues to be a really fascinating farm system with big moves in, in both or big swings in both directions. Isn't it? It does. It does. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you know, three of their four, they're three best hitters in the minor leagues right now. I'll have strikeout rates of 30% or higher, you know, and then Artiaga is our next guy on our list and he's at 27%. So like you see upside and most of those guys are performing too, but they struggle. You know, Harrison had, has, has issues with walks, but he's still striking out a ton of guys. You know, Carson Wisenant's been a pleasant development. We still haven't seen a lot out of Reggie Crawford. Mason Black has continued to develop, but yeah, it's kind of yeah. guys all over the place. The the guy who cuts against the the strikeout uh, rate trend is of course Wade Meckler, um, who is having an incredible year, and it reminds me. So I was looking at his sort of chase rates and his uh, his contact rates, very similar rates to a guy who almost immediately preceded him at Oregon State in in Stephen Kwan. Do you see that kind of potential outcome with Meckler? Because he's really sort of capturing my attention this year. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, I, I mean, you got the Oregon State thing and the smaller outfielder and kind of undersized. So, yeah, you you got the kind of parallel. I mean, I think Stephen Kwan is kind of like the optimal outcome for all those guys. Right. Like, and, and Kwan did develop, I mean, still not a lot of power. He did develop more power over the course of his minor league career, kind of after a couple seasons in the minors. But, yeah, he's, I mean, talking about a guy who, you know, was an eighth-round pick last year. You know, it's interesting because – I mean, I'm sure you know his background too, right? But like he barely played as a freshman at Oregon State. 
And then going into the pandemic, the coaching staff said, look, you're probably not good enough to play here. You should probably <laughs> transfer. And he stayed and he started for him for two years. And I've lost, I think he's hitting what, 395 this year, which is boosted his career average as a pro to 387. I mean, he came in and hit 367 last year. I mean, small sample size, obviously. And, and some of that was in rookie ball, but like he did hit 439 when he got to, to San Jose. And then he came out this year and hit 456 in Eugene. Now he's slumped all the way down to 351 at Richmond, but yeah, it's, you know, he's interesting. I mean, I I still want to see how much power is there, how much impact is there. Like he's plus runner, not, not a big base still, but he runs well. Um, You know, I think at the very least you've got a fourth outfielder who's going to make contact and can play anywhere in the outfield. I mean, his arms a little fringy, but like, he could play right field and pinch and certainly covers ground, you know, just a useful guy. Like like if he can, if he could get to 12 to 15 home run power, I, I think you'd be really excited about him. And like, like oh, you said, absolutely. like he's in 395 right now and you know, he missed some time, but still it's 395 with 215 plate appearances. So it's like, I, I, I don't know. Like he's one of those guys. Like when Von Von Brown was doing this, I mean Von Brown has different tools. Well, Von Brown, you know, Von Brown was blowing up last year, and then you're talking about people's tools are like, oh my god, these tools are crazy, and, and you don't get that with Wade Meckler, right? But like he's just a very, he just plays the game really well. Um, yeah. and like I said, like I don't know exactly what to do with him because like we he was a we didn't he didn't make our preseason list. I considered him, he didn't make it. I added him to the list as guys graduated. He's only number 28 right now and we can adjust it, but like, I don't know how high I should go with him. I mean, he needs to be higher. Yeah. 28. I, like probably in the mid teens, maybe in my mind, like 395 is hard to walk away from. It is. And he is just such an intense kid. I mean, the, the, Ability to concentrate and focus is really high, high tier with him. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, a 10 homer power would be a fantastic outcome. I don't know if he's going to get there, but there is a, there's a role for him, I think, somehow. Um, I want to return to talking a little bit about Patrick Bailey and Louis Matos, uh, both of whom are are on the, on the verge of graduating. But I remember when we were talking a year ago. Um, there were a lot of words like puzzling and uh, uh, flabbergasting. I don't know what's going on here. And then in what has to be the most remarkable tournaments ever, I mean, Patrick Bailey was in the majors this year after 28 games, 14 at double A, 14 at triple A, and, and almost immediately became one of the most important players on that team. Louis Matos wasn't quite that fast, but as a 21-year-old going from really struggling at high A to starting in the majors within two and a half months. It's kind of a crazy turnaround. Um, I, I wrote, you know, recently that, boy, if I knew, if I had seen the future, I would have had a hard time not putting Patrick Bailey as one or two, you know, at worst three in the system at this point, um, just sort of remarkable improvement development in their game. These guys came up with uh, uh, over the winter and spring. Yeah, I mean, I think with Matos, part of it was he had that quad injury last year. And I remember talking to him in the fall league. And I think he just, it affected his swing. And then he tried to make up for lost time. And it kind of mm-hmm. snowballed on him. I mean, that said, it's funny. He played really well the first week of the fall league. And then I came back for the final week. And I was like, man, he hasn't done anything since I was gone. Like, he didn't have a great <laughs> fall league either. I think with him, it was just maybe getting healthy and getting back to the player he was. You know, like... I know the biggest thing, and I'm sure you've heard this too, is the Giants would like to see him get stronger. He's still not, yeah. I mean, he's added strength, but he's not very physical. 
And, you know, even in the big leagues, I mean, he's, he's hitting 250, but he's slugging 321. And I wonder if, if he tried to hit for more power last year too, when things were going on, like he got a little power binge at Sacramento. Um, although the, yeah. the PCL is the launching pad. So I don't know. Oh, sorry. I got the, uh, got the draft phone ringing there. Uh, <laughs> I have to put, put that on, on mute. Didn't have it on mute. Sorry about that. But uh, like, I'm still like, so he still needs to add power, but he it looks like he kind of went back to the more disciplined approach, controlling the strike zone. And we'll kind of let the power come naturally. So that one, that one's kind of easier for me to to comprehend, I, I guess. Does that make sense? Like, like there, there yeah. were reasons he struggled last year. I mean, the the approach was what really stuck out to me because I remember going to a week in Eugene at maybe last August, and yeah, you just see him swing at sort of first pitch changeups and sliders off the edge on one zero pitches and things like that. And then he showed up in Richmond, and he absolutely wasn't doing that. He was like hunting fastballs. And and hanging breakers and he was being really really disciplined and I'm like this is I, I've never seen this version of Matos before so that's what really kind of stood out to me uh, right from the beginning of the season yeah so I mean maybe in some ways uh, you know, last year helped him figure out who he needs to be at the plate or reinforced it you know with, with Bailey it's interesting so like when we do top thirty lists most of um, the time like teams don't try to strong arm you. You know, like back in the day, I've been doing this forever. You'd have teams that would, you know, like literally like try to dictate like, Oh, this is how we see it. You got to do, you should do this, whatever. And, um, but teams really don't try to do that. But that said, it was interesting because the giants repeatedly people I talked to inside the organization, like, you know, if we went back and looked at, at Patrick Bailey last year, I'm, I'm calling up his numbers. So and he, and Patrick has graduated off our, our list because of playing of service time. So I don't have to worry about ranking, but last year, so Patrick Bailey, you know, first round pick hit 225, you know, 760 ops in, in high A, it, you know, that doesn't blow you away. But, but the two things everybody with the Giants always said is one, look at his splits. His splits right. are crazy. You know, he's a switch hitter, but he crushes right-handers and he's been terrible against lefties. Like he just hasn't faced a lot of pro lefties, but like his splits against right-handers we're actually pretty good. He had a 831 ops against right-handers. So you would take that. Like that's the right. fat side of the platoon. And two, they're like, this guy's so good defensively. Like it's solid to plus receiver, solid to plus arm, good game calling, good leadership. It's not just physical skills, it's mental skills. And so I ranked him 11th on our, our list going into the year. Um, and, you know, th- th- they looked at it like, like we're not saying this guy is going to be, you know, Buster Posey or anything like that. But, you know, like there, there, there's a lot here to work with. And I still think he's hitting righties better than he's hitting lefties. And I, I'll admit, I was a little surprised, too, at how quickly they called him up. It was like, what, he played 20 games in the minors. And now my dogs are going crazy. And he wasn't even really tearing it up in AAA. I think he was hitting like 216, right? Um, and they yeah, called him up. And he's that was an solid. injury. That was yeah. really a, a fact of the injury. I have to look at his splits because I do know he hit his first homer. He's, I think he's hit two homers already right-handed, which is, I believe, more than he did in the minors in, in his first two-plus years there, which that, that is could be, a little uh, crazy. The one thing that's concerning, you know, he's playing well in the big leagues, 47 strikeouts, yeah, five walks. Like that – and he hasn't been like that. I mean, he, he'll, he'll – like – He's been more of a, you know, last year in, in double A when, I mean, I'm sorry, in high A when he wasn't putting up huge numbers, he was striking out, oh, about, I don't know, 22, 24% of the time, but he walked a bunch. Like he's right. walking like 15% and now right. he's in the big leagues. He's walked 3% and he's striking out 30%. So like, 
like I do think there's a better approach in there. Yeah. Um, he's not going to continue to succeed with that kind of strikeout to walk ratio. But I do think the Giants are right on this one. Like, like, look, Patrick Bailey may not, he's not gonna be Buster Posey. And I was being facetious there, but like he's not necessarily gonna be, you know, an all-star. But I do think you have a guy who's a really good defensive catcher who can at least, you know, hit right-handers pretty well. Even if he, he even if he doesn't figure lefties out, that's still a useful player. And, and you know, we're, we're not in the days where catchers catch 130 games anymore. Like I do think Patrick Bailey can be, you know, one half of a of a of a good catching uh tandem. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the the walk rate. That is a little crazy because he's he's a guy who two years ago I had scouts say it's a little passive at the plate. Uh, he takes maybe too many pitches. Uh, so it is interesting to see that that has been his introduction to to Major League Baseball, and that's you know part and parcel of the the quality of pitching up there. I do think there's a better approach in there. So we'll see where the offense levels out. Um, and so let's go to a few other guys. And you you mentioned this right at the beginning that there's some big strikeout rates going from some of the best prospects um, in the system, particularly I would say Vaughn Brown, Grant McRae. Arteaga is not as bad, but McCree and Brown both are are, are over 30%. Uh, and Arteaga is still at 27%, which is yeah. high. Yeah. I, where's the uh, where's the level of concern, I guess, uh, for that trio who are probably, as as we see Schmidt and Bailey and, and, and Matos graduate, that's the group that's coming up uh, uh, behind Luciano as the top position players. Yeah. Uh, how, I mean, how do you associate risk with, with, the, with that group of three? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think with Brown and McRae, we may just have to accept the fact that those guys, I mean, they struck out a bunch of last year too, that those guys right. are going to strike out and, you know, maybe they aren't going to be your know, great hitters for average, but I think it's fine. Like, I mean, you don't want them to strike out as you want to strike out less, but, you know, I still think Grant McRae, you know, 70 runner, it's plus raw power. Von Brown, it's a 70 runner. It's at least plus raw power. Like, like I think even coming into the year, we kind of probably felt that batting average was going to be the least of their contributions, if that makes sense. Yeah. The, the one I'm a little concerned about, because he's he's only in high A. Um, I mean, I know McGray's in high A too, but he's hitting 215, is is Arteaga. Because even though I think he's kind of surprised people his offense first couple of years. And he does still bring the defense to the field. Like the fact that he's striking out that much, like he, he may need to tame his approach a little bit. Like I, yeah. I know he's hit for more power than they thought he'd have coming in, you know, coming in his first couple seasons, but that one probably bothers me a little bit more because he doesn't have the power. The other two guys have. Yeah. I mean, all three of them have up the middle defense, which helps. Yeah. Um, and Brown and McCray are both fast, so they can help teams in a variety of ways. Uh, but you would like to see a little more hit tool than that uh, at high A. Um, okay. As, as I'm getting the zoom warning here, we're, we're in, in our last few minutes. Uh, let's talk about sort of maybe, I don't know if sleepers are the right terms, but the guys who have really impressed you this year, who are going to start moving up, up the ladder, up your ranks this year, who are the kind of guys who have stood out to you as weren't necessarily high on your wrist in the winter, but they're going to be uh, when you, when you redo it. Um, I think two of the guys we, we talked about Meckler, but also Diego Velasquez. I mean, those, yeah. those are two guys who weren't on the preseason list that I've added. 
that that probably belong more in the mid teens than the end of the list. To be honest with you, they're both kind of interesting. You know, from a pitching side, I don't know if anybody's made a big put. Like, well, Hayden Birdsong should right. move up. Like, like he'd be the one pitcher. Like most of their pitchers have either been a little banged up or 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 knocked around a little bit. But um, you know, Hayden Birdsong should probably move up. I mean. <laughs> I don't like the thing is there's not a lot of spots because I, I feel like the guys in the top 10 mostly have higher ceilings, but I mean, Landon Root keeps performing. Um, yeah. you know, he's a, t- but, you know, I, I had him at 11 and that's probably, that's probably a good spot for him. Um, he might wind up fitting there, you know, when all is said and done. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, those would probably be the guys to jump, to, jump off the top of my mind. It is hard to, to, push upwards in the top 10 because the top 10 is pretty set except for these graduations. I was thinking, I think I had Mason Black right at the end of my 10 in the winter, uh, but he definitely impressed me over the last six weeks. He made a lot of adjustments and and his stuff has been trending up all year. Um, I guess the other guy I always plant my flag for is Dromi Maldonado. I'm a big Dromi Maldonado fan and, uh, and, and I will be until he proves me right or wrong. Um, no, I like him too. And he was a guy who just missed making my list. I really want to get, and I want to put it, he's our number 30 right now. And like, he's striking out a bunch of guys. I mean, he's a tough one to rank because you can, the gap between where he is now, what he can become and his floor and his ceiling is so vast that you could kind of legitimize and rationalize wherever you want to put him, honestly, I think. Yeah. So, so, so speaking of large gaps between where they are now and uh, uh, where you can see them going, I'll, I'll end by asking you about Reggie Crawford. Obviously the giants are being extremely cautious about his workload uh, because of the almost total lack of innings the last few years for him. Uh, He's only pitching him one inning, two innings at most stints Uh, hit, uh, hit a little bit, but that seems to be fading out. Recently, they moved him up to Eugene to get a little better of competition. What do you make with kind of where he is at this point? How how do you wrap your 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 arms around trying to rank him in the system? It's tough because, like you said, I mean, he's not going to pitch a whole lot this year. Maybe they'll turn him loose more down the stretch, but like at most, we're going to see what forty innings out of him, maybe. Yeah, and and like you know, from a development standpoint, honestly, you're trying to get him through the year healthy and get him acclimated to pro ball. And then kind of turn him loose. But like the scary thing is, like he only pitched 13 and two thirds innings in 2021. And they didn't pitch at all in 2022 because he got hurt in the offseason and had Tommy John surgery. Like this is, he always hit more at Connecticut. But so you kind of have to, I guess, weigh the two of those. Um, like it's interesting. Like you take Reggie Crawford, like, and I don't, I haven't worked this out in my mind. I mean, I know what I, we had Crawford ahead coming in here, but like Roger, do you take Reggie Crawford or do you take Mason Black? we have a lot better feel for what Mason black is. And he's exactly success. But then, well, yeah, yeah. You know, with Crawford, like, okay, he's a lefty. He's up to a hundred. He can overpower guys with a slider. Um, I, I still go back my stat when he, when he barely pitched 2021 between UConn team USA and the Cape league, he struck out 30 of the 56 batters faced. I mean, his ceiling, honestly, is probably higher. Like if we're just ranking ceilings, you're probably going Harrison, Luciano, and, and Reggie Crawford at the top of this list. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's like one of those where, I mean, there is no wrong or right answer. I think you can legitimize. I wouldn't rank him three. That would be kind of like very aggressive. But like if you ranked him fifth, I think you could legitimize that. And if you ranked him, I don't know, 10th or 12th because of the risk, 
Yeah. And the unknown, I think you could legitimize that too. Yeah. If you think he's a left-handed starter who's going to be throwing 98, he's pretty high up your list. Um, but if you just like the potential to have some role, then then you got to be a little more cautious. Um, well, so so Jim, I know we, you just got yourself out of a prolonged uh, draft uh, draft head. When when are we going to see the the next top thirty? So I'll, I'll pile some more deadlines on you. <laughs> yeah, well, we're dealing with the the draft signings right now, and then we got the trade deadline. I, I think early August. I would tell you the date if we had an exact date, but I don't <laughs> think we do. I think it's just early August right now. Well, I will look forward to that, of course, when they come out. And uh, I always appreciate you taking some time to come come talk with me. Uh, your knowledge is uh, uh, is absolutely top of the line, uh, and I and I always enjoy reading all of the coverage you do. So everyone should always run over to MLB Pipeline. They're always running out uh, great stories on the draft, on the minors, on prospects. Uh, it's it's a fantastic site. Uh, and of course, for all my readers who want to uh, pay attention to my microscopic view of the giant system, uh, you can become subscribers to theirgiants.com to get my daily reports on what's going on in the farm. I appreciate everyone tuning in, and I'll be back next week with more Giants prospect content. Thanks so much for joining me, Jim. Hey, no problem, Roger. And I just I'll, I'll, I'll throw a compliment back at you. Like I think Giants fans are very lucky to have you because I mean you do such a great job of covering the system and. I can't tell you. I, I know I have told you, so I guess I can tell you how many times I'm looking to fill in a blank, like guy missed some time, where there's a piece of background. I don't have a guy and I go down the Google rabbit hole and it usually leads me to your work. And I've even had times where the Giants have said, like, I remember with Ryan Murphy a couple of years ago when Ryan Murphy was exploding. And I was like, where'd this guy come from? And they're like, oh, have you seen Roger Munner's story? He did a really good jo- job of explaining all that. So um, you do a great job covering the Giants. I'm always, always happy to talk to you. I really appreciate the the kind words. Thanks so much, Jim. Okay, thank you, Roger.